Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the DOS Game Club podcast. Uh, I'm Martijn, Tijn on the forums. And um, Florian is sadly not here today, uh, our, our regular co-host, but he, uh, yeah, he couldn't make it. But um, it's, it's more than made up for by our two excellent guests uh, that we have. Uh, first of all, it's Tyler. Hello. Hey. Happy to be here. Yeah, very cool. Very cool that you could join us again. Thank you, thank you. And also a bit of a special guest. It's, um, he's called Marcus. Yes, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. But I think better known as your nickname, DJ Wheat. Yeah, I think that's probably true. In fact, there's another Marcus Graham. He's an Australian actor. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, wh- what you? are the chances? But if, <laughs> it's funny because if you go to IMDb and look up Marcus Graham, you'll find this Australian. He's a very handsome man, I, you oh. know. Uh, <laughs> but I've got him beat if I use DJ Wheat. So yeah, exactly. Well, maybe yeah. you can use his picture as a profile picture just to mess. Yeah, that mess was, with that's people. what I was thinking. <laughs> there you go. A little appropriation there. You there. Go. <laughs> there you go. Look me up on IMDb. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Uh, now you might think, oh, uh, DJ Wheat's on. We're going to talk about StarCraft, but we're not. We're actually uh, going to talk about uh, 1988's Wasteland, which is the game that we featured in January. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's Wasteland. That's what we're going to talk about. I'm excited. Yeah, me too, man. If it's okay, uh, you know, we, we were talking beforehand and it sounds like I might be the Wasteland veteran in terms of, uh, you know, I played this game when I was 11 years old. Um, so I just have to kind of want to put something in perspective and context if it, if it's okay. Is that okay? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay. So I think I was, uh, so I was 10 years old when I first saw this game on the Apple IIe. Wow. And I happened to be, I don't remember at, it might've been at a church. Like I was with a friend and he was at their church and they had an Apple II. I know it's the craziest place to find a copy of Wasteland. Yeah, I'm thinking you <laughs> you played this in a church? At, that was my fir- the first time I had ever seen it. So, you know, at that time I didn't have a computer yet. It was, I was really into anytime I could find a friend or whatever that had a computer. But between ages 10 and 11 is when I got my first, uh, I was an 8088 uh, CGA uh, 20 megabyte hard drive. Like it was the jam, right? Yeah. And so I, I got one of the PC mags, you know, that, that I would look through and, and wish that I could get that hundred megabyte hard drive, but they had a games page and I saw wastelands again. So I remember the summer, it was the summer of, um, what 88. Mm-hmm. And I ordered it off of this game mag, which keep in mind back then meant I had my mom write a check mailed it to the company and then waited what like two to four weeks before it it came so 
after two weeks, every day I was sitting outside. That is how I spent my summer waiting for this damn game to finally, uh, to finally get to my house. And I remember the day that that Brown UPS truck rolled up and, and he finally stopped outside the house and I got up and sure enough, I got my copy wasted. So this game for me was, you know, around the time of BBSs and like exploring, because I'm also a big first person shooter guy. This was definitively like the first RPG that I really, really just dove into. I'd played Bard's Tale. I'd done some of the SSI Dungeons and Dragons games, but this was the one that my mom and dad would find me playing at 4 a.m. So anyway... <laughs> I'm stoked to talk about Wasteland. Yeah, but that's awesome. I mean, yeah, that's really what we were hoping for, to to get someone on that was really, you know, loving this game as a kid and, and you know, just played it inside out. So, yeah, that's just perfect. I'm your guy. Yeah, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, because this is actually the first time that I played the game. Uh, I hadn't really even heard of it, to be honest. It's. I think it's just a little before my time. Uh, I mean, I, I totally got into DOS games by probably 1990, uh, like Prince of Persia, that sort of stuff. That's really mm-hmm. when I started to play the games that were coming out. But yeah, these 80s games, that this sort of passed me by. And I, I was also probably too young at that point to really understand. Like, I mean, this is a deep game, you know. This is not uh, a pick-em-up and... and actiony kind of game this is really in-depth stuff so yeah it, it is and i think like during that time period too in 88 when you know i think i spent 40 dollars on this game but i ended up getting you know maybe a thousand hours out of it because it is that that deep yeah even though it's like a persistent world overall that would mean that you know a hundred hours in you would make a mistake that would ultimately affect something massively in the game and you would literally start over and be okay with that (laughs) uh because it almost you got more efficient as you would sort of play through and know okay i can go here and do this and that uh so it's funny you say that though because 1990 you know that's also when probably the frequency of pc gaming really was picking up and um you know i i it's sad that a lot of people missed it around the time because i think it was uh you know legendary yeah yeah i can i can we'll we'll talk about this later but i i saw some incredibly positive reviews uh, that were released at the time so yeah this game just really struck a chord with people and uh yeah i mean we'll totally dive into all all that stuff I think it was new for you too, as well, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, Had you heard of it? Yeah, I was aware of it, but not until much longer, like in the nineties. Uh, hmm. Like, I mean, I was playing games in the eighties. I was born in eighty-one, right? So I must have been <laughs> seven or so when this game came out. But I was still playing through my dad, right? Like, my dad had Ultima Five. Right. My dad had Starflight. Like, so I played a lot of these classic old games, but Wasteland was just one that, I mean, you know, I'm a little kid. I, yeah. My sphere of influence is what my dad brings home, you know, like he didn't have magazines or anything. So I just didn't learn about it until, uh, really until Fallout came out. And then you just start hearing what's like inspired by Wasteland. And I'd be, Ooh, what's that? <laughs> and then I would look at pictures and stuff and I'm like, Ooh, it looks a lot like Ultima five. Mm, I like that. And yeah, so, yeah, I've just always wanted to play it. 
And when you said that you were going to play Wasteland, well, I jumped at the chance to join in the fun. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because we, we probably should mention that, in a way, this is this is the first Fallout game, right? I mean... Definitely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the, not only does it come out and as a, this amazing open world RPG, but the reason my 11 year old self was definitely dragged into this game was this crazy post-apocalyptic world where, you know, there's nuns firing machine guns at you <laughs> and you are, you know, eventually fighting cyborgs and building robots and getting, you know, upgrading from an AK to uh, a laser rifle, you know, a, a, I feel like this was for me that post-apocalyptic, like, oh man, this is a world that I hope there's a lot of gaming in because it's, it's something I love. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I think it's also, I'm I'm not sure if it's really the first post-apocalyptic game, but it's, it's surely one of the first that I'm aware of. I mean, films like Mad Max had probably come out by this point, but Otherwise, I don't think there was a whole lot of games set in like this kind of world. Yeah, um, if I if I'm not mistaken, there was a, a, like Red Dawn hmm. had come out um, around the time that either they were trying to they were working on this game or, or pitching the game. And there was, uh, I remember there being a lot of talk about originally sort of, you know, the the war being, it, you know, the USA versus Russia, like that whole storyline played up. Um, but then afterwards they started playing more with the idea of like, well, wait, what is it? It doesn't matter, right? Who who does it? Like, what's the world after? Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of inspiration from, you know, movies around that time for sure. Yeah, and the whole atom bomb Russia versus America thing was really big. So, I, I, yeah, I guess you're right. People were just thinking, like, okay, what if this happens? Then what? What what kind of... Yeah, like, what's the hundred years look like after it? And that's when, you know, right. post-apocalyptic world was truly born. And I'm sure books, like, I I mean, books around that area, unfortunately, I'm not as uh, educated on. But, like, I'm sure there were books that had some very really interesting sort of you know, oh, we we blew ourselves up and this is what the world's like after that. Yeah. Yeah, this must have kept people occupied at the time. And, well, there's a lot of stuff about this going on at the time. But this is one of the first really big games to to dive into this topic on the, or certainly on the PC. But uh, as you said, originally it's an Apple II game, really. So that's kind of interesting because this is this is actually a massive game. So to come out on a on a system like the Apple II, that's actually quite impressive, I think, because that that system is not really known for its huge games, right? Yeah, it's super impressive just how small this game is and how effectively it uses key art and and even the map system to you know, create a world that's a lot bigger than it actually is. I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear from your guys's perspective, right? Because it's when we play the games of, of yesterday today, um, and we're so jaded by sometimes what we have available now, you know, like what, Hmm. what did you guys think from that perspective, right? Like the, the art of who you're fighting, how combat takes place, the overview map and, sort of what the game actually offers you to give you a visual experience. What do you think of that? So 
immediately I was kind of drawn in because the art reminded me a lot of Ultima 5. So like I kind of already felt familiar with that. It felt kind of, I mean, there's just a lot of green, you know, just a lot of smeared green and stuff. So it didn't like immediately pull me in. Like I understood it. I respected it, if you will, but it wasn't like really getting at me. But then as soon as I started entering the combat and like seeing these character portraits, like, holy shit, man, like that dog with the blood just gushing out of his mouth. And like, man, it's really visceral. And I thought to myself, no wonder Fallout is as gory as it is if it's modeled after this game. Because yeah. like this game is just over the top with the yeah, the portrait violence and I I loved it. Yeah. It's it's quite brutal, but at the same time it also maybe it's because of the EGA graphics, but it, it also felt a bit like a comic book to me. Like it has this sort of I don't know, a sort of cartoony vibe to it, while also being really brutal. So I don't know. It's really uh, a, a combination of these two worlds for me. I, I would agree. I, I think I know kind of what you mean when you say that, because it, it's not necessarily super realistic art, yeah. but it's still brutal, uh, as I sort of Tyler mentioned. And and even in the text descriptions, you know, like, yeah, um, yeah. turn the rat into a thin red mist or like exploded <laughs> it like a blood sausage, you know? And yeah. I think because of some of those descriptions, they actually do did have to have um, like a higher rating or had mature tags in some countries as a result of, of some of that. But I totally get the, the, and I played it in CGA. So that means like oh. it is even more cartoony and I didn't get green. I got the light blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, the blue and pink. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I, I, there was still something, you know, it was, I got, I like it, it was that game where I'm laughing at something that was probably more brutal, but because as you mentioned, the way Martin, the way it was like presented, it was okay to do that. And I think the game just had enough sort of humor, the same way that the fallout universe does enough sort of craziness, even how wasteland two does, which is a great representation. I think of like the spirit of the the first game. Hmm. Um, they, they walk that fine line. And I think that's, what's awesome about it. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, I think, Maybe we should talk a little bit on how we got to this game in the first place, because we've been doing DOS Game Club now for about two years. Uh, we feature a different game every month, DOS Game. Uh, but we had never really done a, like a big open world RPG like this. So uh, so we opened a thread on the forums asking people for suggestions. Uh, and we got, actually, we got loads of different ones, really good ones. Uh, people obviously wanted to play Ultima, but there were also some more obscure titles suggested. Uh, well, uh, like Bard's Tale was, was suggested. Uh, Darklands, I see, suggested. Eye of the Beholder. Uh, Might and Magic, of course. But, well, actually, Wasteland is a title that, that came up in, in multiple suggestions. So it, it must have been really on people's minds. Like when they think back of a DOS RPG, then, then Wasteland is really one of the big ones that they remember. So there were there were multiple people suggesting this game. And I guess it's also maybe because uh, Fallout... Well, this is around the time that Fallout... Uh, the What's it called? 76? The, the new one came out. Mm, That's yeah. when we opened the thread. So so maybe Fallout, the universe, was was on people's minds. And uh, so, yeah, it's actually suggested by, by multiple people. 
Good job, multiple people. Exactly. <laughs> Props <laughs> to them. We did it, Internet. <laughs> um, we've mentioned some things left and right, but maybe we should, like, for, if people are listening to this who have never played Wasteland, and maybe they have never even played an old school RPG like this, how would you describe, like, how, how does this game work? What, what's, this, what's this game? Can, can someone... Yeah, I could, I think I could give it a, a crack. So, um, you know, first off, I think, uh, I think Tyler makes a good point when he says it's a bit like the Ultima five, right? If mm. you remember some of the old RPGs of this era, a lot of it was tile set based. And then as sort of the advancement in mechanics, uh, picked up, then we did start getting sort of the portrait based combat. So it does follow a lot of the same rules and mechanics that were built up in, in these RPG games of, of this era. And then the way it works is, um, you know, all combat is kind of done via dice in the background and presented as text. So you have your weapon that you equip and then all of your armor, et cetera, and it is doing all the background roles. It is basically your attack, your damage, your evasion, et cetera. Um, So you're not necessarily having to manage any aspect of that. You're doing that through the inventory, through what you're wearing, et cetera. And as such, it's kind of interesting because the inventory is quote unquote visual, but it is a list. It's a text-based list. Uh, Believe it or not, it's still better than some of the shitty inventory systems that we get in the games today, uh, which is kind of surprising. But in addition to that, you've got then a full skill set. Um, you know, one of the disadvantages of, I'm guessing, uh, tackling this game today versus back then is that we expect like an explanation of what these skills do. And it's like, no, 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 no. Fuck you. We're not telling you anything about this game. Like that you explanation have- is in the manual, sir. Right. Right. I mean, it is. But even then, it's still not. You know, like I'm, I'm this 11 year old going metallurgy. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I want to use that skill only to never really find out until much, much later that there's basically one or two reasons that you can use it in the game. So yeah. from that perspective, that concept of kind of playing through and maybe even being like, scrap it, I'm going to start over. And then you don't take metallurgy if it is one of your starting skills and you sort of pick up and figure out what works best later on, um, especially when you pick out, figure out what NPCs you can pick up. But um, so you go around to different tile sets as you visit New tile sets, you basically go deeper. So, for example, you go into the agriculture center, you go into high pool, and then within high pool, there's several buildings that you can enter. And so that's how the world kind of expands. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at the full tile set map, it is rather small overall. So as such, you're gaining experience, you are radioing in your levels, you are gaining more skill points, and ultimately you're playing through the story. But one of the beauties of Wasteland, and and might be a vice, I don't know, is that it is completely open. There are a thousand ways to complete this game in any order, any way you wish. You ultimately just get to this one portion and there's a few key milestones and things that you have to do but overall um from that perspective that is the game yeah yeah and the game doesn't even like what you said is that a a story unfolds as you play but the game doesn't even really start with the story does it no good luck rangers (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly The, the game just starts with you're a bunch of rangers 
go, go into the world and see what you can find. I mean, it's it's really minimal in terms of backstory or you know stuff to to give you to use as a reference. There's even the manual isn't that thick, really. I mean, it's just a couple of pages explaining the world, and well, the rest is for you to figure out. Yes, the manual isn't thick. Of course, I didn't mention that there's also the paragraph book, which does play mm. a pretty big role in this game because in order to keep it as small as as it was that we were talking about, they took most of the text out and put it into a paragraph book, yeah. um, which also served, uh, doubled as a copyright protection, which is hilarious because there are entries in the book that have nothing to do with the game itself. So <laughs> there's a bunch of weird crap about aliens and Mars that it just, <laughs> if you were to just read it or try to skip ahead, it tries to throw you off. But um, that was unique in that a lot of the world was built from, from like that that text right and and the you using your imagination to then build like what all these bloodthirsty priests and nuns are really like when you're walking into the citadel like that so that was a big part of the game yeah yeah when i was reading that paragraph book stuff that that's just amazing because it actually says at the top like please don't read ahead and and like contain yourself don't just only read the, the the paragraphs that are referenced when you play. Yeah. But yeah, then when you actually do read through it, it's all sorts of stuff that doesn't relate to the game at all. And it's just put in there to throw you off. And it's it's really just great. Man, I just feel like I'm the only sap that played by the rules and didn't read through it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But I couldn't wait till we started talking about this because I really... I really liked it. I can only remember one other game that was like this, and that was Sentinel World's Future Magic 1. Hmm. Uh, never saw a sequel. They were pretty ambitious with that title. But yeah, I, it it really made it feel like a retro game in that aspect, like having to do that. And, you know, I played with the lights off, you know, with just the lamp near me, and I would have to pull out my tome, you know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> to, yeah. to read the text. And I probably read, I don't know, about 20, 20 paragraphs out of there. Mm-hmm. So I got a good thing. And I liked when uh, DJ Wheat said, you're using your imagination to build the scenes. Because I wanted to stress how, yeah, you look at the screen and it looks so empty, just like a dead world with nothing in it. But like, if you read that text and use your imagination, like it, it's there, you know, and especially when you're doing your perception checks on things, which I don't know if I'm getting ahead talking about the skill things like, but man, having to walk around on like every square and be like perception check, perception check. Like, <laughs> yep. But I had the key combination memorized, even though I can't think of it right now, but it was, you know, like S one, Five was perception and then my direction and like yeah it was you just did that all the time but you find a lot of secrets man Ooh. i found diaries under decrepit old tables and like all this cool shit like that the world is there you just have to allow yourself to read the details and kind of you know fill it in with your mind it, so it is so important what you just said when you think about the era of gaming that this existed on, right? Like maybe if I was lucky, I would I would have a BBS where one other person was playing it and we could like, 
you know, exchange information, but there's no like game FAQ. There's no uh, strategy guide that you were getting for weight. And you wanted to try to find every single one of the, I mean, like the number of worthless actions that I probably did in Wasteland is fucking astronomical, right? <laughs> and that's okay because that was so exciting when you did find that. And to talk a little bit more just about the paragraph book, there is one, there's a missile silo in the game and it is just graphically the most uninspiring thing that you've <laughs> ever seen. But this paragraph about the missile silo, which talks about just like the the amazing presence that this the missile has and it's just it's awesome it, they really cared about the universe and honestly i think it's very evident if you play wasteland 2 because a lot of what that paragraph book was became graphically possible and mm. able to be represented in that game i don't mean to get ahead of myself but um that that to me is why this game from this era is just so uh, sort of critically important in the timeline of of all these types of games. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's also really the transition that happened in PC gaming is that you know everything is graphics now. It's all there on the screen for you to look at. But back then it was all in the writing, wasn't it? Yeah, I I mean I think it was and and there are many games that we have to give credit before right Ultima. I mentioned some of the uh SSI strategic simulation Dungeons and Dragons games. Also games that were just like there were thousands of hours uh, available to you in those those games and had similar tile sets and graphical approaches. But, you know, I, I, I think about like this evolution and one of my other absolute favorite uh, games of all time is Ultima Online. And like, I don't know that Ultima Online would have ever existed without something like Wasteland. Mm. I mean, we should talk for like an hour after this recording about Ultima Online. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a DOS game, is it? So you're not allowed. Yeah, I, uh, I know. Yeah, I we'll know. do it off the clock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the Win95 <laughs> podcast. So. <laughs> so, yeah, there's there's several things we can dive into. I mean, there's a whole backstory. Maybe it's interesting to talk a little bit about that. Um, because the game is actually set in the year 2087, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's like 100 years after the game was, well, released. It was released in January of, of 1988, but I guess, yeah. yeah, in 87, they were just wrapping it all up. It's kind of odd. I was I was thinking to myself, who releases a game in January? I mean, don't you want to have, like, the Christmas period? I, I Yeah, I mean... Were were game developers even thinking about that at that point? Like, was there the Wild West? Yeah, I mean, was it even? I think it was more like uh, we just spent all this time. Definitely, Wasteland uh, suffered delays. So, I mean, maybe they were aiming for that holiday period, but it actually didn't even hit. Yeah. And then, of course, there's development from the two E to like then uh dos and amiga and whatnot but hmm. uh yeah but 100 years after the game exactly. and then like 10 years after it was made was technically when the nuclear war uh happened which is actually a really cool graphical representation of you know the satellite trying to shoot missiles out of the sky and then next thing you know here we are wasteland yeah because the uh, nuclear war like you said happened in in 1998 i think that's also the terminator the year by the way so <laughs> Yeah, 1998 is a bad year, bad year for <laughs> human history. And you you play this party, right? The the Desert Rangers, you're called, and it, it's sort of 
Is it the U.S. Army? I guess it's sort of, it's the, what's left of it or something? Yeah, I, you know, like, I don't know, maybe you know, Todd, but I don't think they ever actually, uh, there's, like, there's a lot of remnants of military in the same way that the Fallout universe kind of has it. So I think that Desert Rangers represents, um, hey, we were able to gather anything that was left over or salvageable from these last hundred years. So that, I guess that sort of makes us a military outfit. But yeah. I think the Rangers were in general just supposed to also explore right the world. And so whatever remnants of the U.S. Army there actually was. But yeah, that's that's the Rangers. Yeah. And I read in a manual that actually at first the Desert Rangers thought they were the only survivors. And they were the they were in the um, the ranger center, but then they they went out into the world and and actually well they found other like little villages and and you know little pockets of civilization that were survived left and right. So so the game is partially about that, just going out into the world and discovering what's left. And which I think uh, so you know the eleven year old me was probably like fuck yeah that's awesome yeah. But the the forty two year old me is like well. Fallout figured that out because mm. it makes a lot more sense that we would go into a vault and then come out a lot later and, you know, versus like yeah. the Rangers being like, are we the only <laughs> ones here? Like, you know, let, let's walk seven tiles. Oh, shit. No, it's high pool. We're not. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. You know, it's kind of which is kind of funny, yeah. but whatever. It's, yeah, the whole fault stuff, that's new for Fallout. That's not in this game at all, is it? No, I mean, there's. I guess you could say there, yeah, I, there's, there's maybe concepts of it, but you know, I think the vault idea is a great story mechanic narratively to just be like, well, how can we make it? So people are coming out to this hundred year old. And then that makes a lot of sense. It's like, holy shit, I'm being exposed to this world, uh, versus, you know, and, and yeah, they stayed at this rager center and <laughs> were through teenage years and here now they're finally going out. It's like, dude, there was a town like just right next door. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, w once you do go out into the world, then and slowly a story unfolds, I suppose, because there's actually, well, there's a threat uh, to to all of humankind going on which is not apparent from the start, but there's some kind of evil killer robot or something. Yeah. But I'm not really sure. I mean, the game doesn't really guide you towards that at all. <laughs> at least that's what my impression was. So yeah, you really have to discover this for yourself, that this plot is going on at all. I agree. And uh, I mean, Tyler, I'd be curious to hear if you made it to a point, but you know, you probably can play this game for a long time before you even, you know, really Vegas is where the whole new storyline opens up. And maybe there's some little artifacts here and there that represent kind of leading you to it, or even in the paragraph book, maybe more so to the idea of like, well, how did this all happen in the first place? And that kind of leading to this AI storyline, et cetera. Um, so I did, did either of you guys like in, in the time that you got to play, did you intersect with that storyline? No, I, I only really scratched the surface, to be honest. I mean, this sort of game, we only played it for a month. Yeah. And it's really hard to, I mean, you can easily play this game for, for like a dozen hours or more oh. and not, not engage with this stuff at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, 
So that's it's really hard if you just play a few sessions to get a good grasp of the depth of the story that's going on. I mean, it's difficult enough just to navigate the world and keep your party alive and, <laughs> you know, just survive. That's that's really a skill in itself already. Yeah. Did you come across the story, Tyler? Uh, no, no. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, like we just touched on, let's come right out and say it. This game's freaking hard. Yeah. Right? Like, when you're starting, it just, like, smashes your face in when you don't know what you're doing like i mean i've been playing games for a long time you know i feel like i can intuitively figure some systems out you know what i mean but this game just it just kills you mm. and kills you and this mm-hmm. also goes back to you only have one save and it auto saves whenever you enter a new scene so it's really easy to like just escape something and go into a new zone and like now you've saved yourself at the bottom of the health and when you're just starting out getting knocked out and stuff unconscious or seriously wounded, mortally wounded. There's so many different cryptic, you know, <clears throat> labels for injuries that you have no idea what they mean. So dude, I spent, I probably played this game about 12 hours and the first like four hours, like trying and failing and trying and failing before I realized like I need to unfortunately go to the internet and at least get some like beginner strategies. And that was where, I was told to like sell my guns early, give myself two points in melee or whatever, bashing, brawling, whatever it is. Yeah, brawling. So you get two attacks right at the start. And from then on, like I actually had a party that survived and I was able to make it to Port City. I could buy armor and like all of a sudden I had this party that could move around and not die. Yeah. And the game started to open up. Uh, let me tell you, you're making my 11 year old self feel like a badass because uh, <laughs> I didn't have any of those resources available. But yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I think it was more common at the time to have this level of difficulty. Don't you think, Tyler? Oh, yeah. It reminded me a lot about all the things I loved about Ultima 5. You're just like turned loose in a world. And yeah, you got to ask the dialogue, you got to type into people your questions, you know. Reminded me a lot of it. Yeah, I think it was more common also to have this just figure it out as you go. And then once you've learned, you just start a new game and then you play again from the start with your new knowledge. And then you can make it further until you get stuck again. And then you just start from the beginning again. I think that was more of an acceptable game loop than it is nowadays. I mean, nowadays people expect some kind of tutorial and they expect to be eased in and then just have a smooth ride until the end. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, this isn't a game that has like, Oh, that enemy's name is red. So I know I shouldn't attack it. Right. Like I, you will attack things that will absolutely destroy you have no idea how you're ever supposed to beat it. And then maybe come back, you know, 50 hours later. And then finally you are equipped enough to go in and be able to destroy them. But to Tyler's points, like this, the skills again, like, are not it's not very clear so the game wants you to die i think yeah. the game wants you to experiment and the game also wants you to really be thinking about why you have the character and the party that you do hmm. um which is kind of interesting and i think akin to the old sort of bard's tales game like that that game was freaking hard too like i never beat that game without going in and actually changing hex values to give myself like <laughs> all of the damage in the world 
Um, but it, it, you know, I think in, in this game, uh, you find that like having that medic and then how to keep them alive and, and how to deal with the various conditions, because there's also this amazing thing about the game that unfortunately, because you only got to play it for a month, like you, you figure out is that when you hit Vegas and you start getting energy weapons and then the most badass armor in the game, you are kind of rewarded basically because you become the biggest badasses in wasteland and nothing can touch you and you are just destroying everything. And it takes a long time to get there, but it feels so good when you are like, yeah, yes. Like I beat like that robot beat the shit out of me, but now I've got one guy equipped and now we can go take on this bigger group and another guy. So the later rewards you get, like the end game, quote unquote rewards are, were just phenomenal. Yeah, that's really cool. I always love that in games when you start out really weak and you're, you're scared of everything, but then as you learn, like the, everything changes and you become like the really badass character hunting down the rest. It's that that change, when you feel a sense of mastery over the world in the game, that's really awesome when that happens. So that's cool that this game offers that. But sadly, we did not really experience that during our limited uh, time with the game, did we, Tyler? Nope. The farthest I got, I'm glad DJ Wee's here, he'll be able to tell me. I went into the caboose, and the guy gave me the note to give to Head Crusher in Quartz City, and then I was looking all over for this guy, mm-hmm. and then I went into one building where they were like, who sent you? And I was like, oh shit, I didn't write down that guy's name. Like, was 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 that guy's name what I was supposed to say there? <laughs> the caboose guy? You know what? I, I If I'm not mistaken, the answer is yes, and even funnier is I think the answer is Mad Dog Fargo, which is actually a character that was named after Brian Fargo, one of the creators of Wasteland. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe we, we should talk a little bit about Brian Fargo, actually. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about, like, the background and, and how this game came to be, because... uh Brian Fargo, as you said, is one of the developers on this game. He's, uh, I think he's the main writer. He's like the the guy who wrote the story and stuff. But he's also, of course, the co-founder of Interplay, which is the, the company that developed this whole game to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they got sort of famous in 1985 when they released The Bard's Tale, which we mentioned uh, earlier on, which was really a big hit. Uh, in, in, you know, computer RPG stuff, right? So, yeah, I think that's really when they established themselves as this serious RPG maker company. Yeah. Um, but there were some other pretty cool names on the team as well. I was looking this up earlier today. Well, One name is, uh, yeah? Well, I was just going to say, before you before you move on from Brian, uh, because yeah. I got a big man crush on on this guy. And, <laughs> I'll go you know, ahead. like because because gaming has, um, you know, always been a huge part of my life, like I've made it, you know, almost a mission of mine to meet some of my favorite designers, writers, creators, et cetera. Hmm. And my two top people on that list were Richard Garriott and Brian Fargo. And I can say that I've successfully managed to meet both of them. Wow. In fact, I got to interview Brian Fargo prior to Wasteland 2 getting released. That's awesome. Um, but I think 
what what's really amazing is that, you know, back then when I was younger, I don't think I had the same appreciation for who was making the games as I did as I got older. So, you know, it, it's it, it was awesome to be able to meet him as a much more mature version of myself to say, dude, you have no idea how you shaped me as a little kid when I was playing this game. And like, thank you for that. But I the guy, I, I mean, beyond what they were doing in the early DOS games um, in exile, the company that he's running now that has resurrected, um, you know, Bard's Tale and Wasteland 2 and now upcoming Wasteland 3 and and the way that he sort of like has gone through, you know, this entire journey of game developers and being on the publisher side and being on the developer side and then being independently owned. And I just have so much respect for this guy and the fact that he kind of like went against the grain when everyone was like, you got to be a triple A studio and and became an independent studio that made triple A games because Wasteland 2 is actually a work of art and I can't wait for three. But yeah, anyway, sorry. I just had to give my little, I love Brian Fargo. He's the man, uh, and you're right. There's a lot of people that worked on this game that went on to do amazing things, but I just had to pour out my my love a little bit there. No, 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 but that's that's really amazing to hear that you interviewed Brian Fargo. That's really cool. Did you did you get a chance to talk to him about Wasteland? Absolutely. Um, in fact, the the interview because um, this is when I was work uh, when I started working at, at Twitch. Hmm. Um, basically, this gal named Kim who has known Brian forever, and she worked at Twitch, and she was like, "Hey." Um, do you want to go do this thing and, and maybe do a live stream with, with in exile and, and play wasteland and talk to Brian. I'm like, are you Hell shitting yeah. me right now? <laughs> like, yes, sign me up. Yeah. I got to go to the studio. I got to meet, um, everyone, everyone there, which was amazing. Uh, I got a nice signed copy of wasteland Two from the entire dev team out of it. And, and basically that's what we did. We, I got to experience wasteland two for the first time. And as a massive fan of the first game, I was just like, Oh, this and this and this, and all these things from the old game are here. And I think I, of course, was very excited because he was like, oh, shit, you actually did play Wasteland. Like, you're not just some guy that's coming in to do. So that was a that was like a big moment for me. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I can imagine a lot of these journalists that went to interview Brian Fargo around the release of Wasteland 2 were probably, you know, these 20 year old kids who had no idea and who had never really played the game like you had. So. That must have been really cool. It felt also good. Also for Brian, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. So. Do you do you remember anything notable f- what Brian said about how this original game was developed? I think what was most notable about what Brian was talking about is actually trying to um maintain the spirit of the original game. Mm. And, and I think that the team recognized that, you know, in our lifetimes, this will constantly happen, but there are games that might be ahead of their time. And this era, there were a lot of games that were sort of ahead of their time. Uh, But it was also representative of an era where we didn't have millions and millions and millions of people necessarily playing these games. So I think they were just excited to finally bring what they felt they were bringing in the first game, but to a whole new era of gamers. And and that's significant to me, right? Because they believed so much in the original product, what, what you guys played and what, you know, hopefully people remember playing or, or will, you know, just play to try. Mm. Um, so that, that's, I think the coolest part about it, but yeah. Yeah. It is really, I mean, I remember this, uh, we played, um, 
Starflight? Starflight, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played Starflight before, and that's sort of from the same era as this one. And what really struck me is is the ambition in this in this game. I mean, this is from a time when computers were not able to pull off a whole lot. But like the developers, they were not. Oh, it's just it's just a, a small computer. We'll just make a small game, and you know, this is really crappy hardware. No, they were not like that at all. They were really going for it. Yeah, instead they were probably stoked on their hardware. It was better than anything that ever existed. Before, and they're like, oh my god, yeah. with this new processor that we would consider minuscule today, like we can we can do it. We can put the world together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that that really struck me. It's just how ambitious the, these late 80s games are. And and like when you compare them to the AAA games of the 90s and later, then this stuff just seems really ancient. But at the time, of course, they just thought, wow, we got this new tech, let's let's go for it. So uh yeah, these are uh, really ambitious games. And and like you said, ahead of their time, really. Uh, a lot of games from this era are. Totally agree. So that's cool that we're revisiting them now because, uh, you know, they, they tend to get a bit lost, these, these late 80s DOS games. I mean, nobody really, well, why would you play a DOS game now? But actually, they're really cool. So uh yeah I mean like it's important to it's important to sort of memorialize and also you know stamp into history these games and you know like I I think I represent an age where I'm like I can feel myself getting older and I want to, I've got a 13 year old son and I want to be like son you better appreciate these games because <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't have all the shit you're playing today exactly. if I wasn't playing the games of old you know <laughs> and uh, I I know I'm just sound if like I a didn't bo- buy wasteland out of a magazine <laughs> yeah. back in 1980 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I always love it when he's picking up a retro game, but like even even what he considers retro now, like mm. he played Stalker recently and I was like, good for you, you yeah. know, but that's still, that's that's not really that retro, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm just glad that there is, you know, uh, the ability to be able to just recognize this and be like, yeah, don't forget, this is some of the stuff that, that really like paved the way for some of the unbelievable stuff that we have today yeah exactly like like stuff like fallout didn't just appear out of nowhere so there's a whole rich history and uh and actually i mean this kind of ties into the rest of the team as well because we talked a little bit about brian fargo but someone else on the team was uh ken saint andre and he he created a tabletop rpg game back in the 70s uh in 1975 he released a game called tunnels and trolls and i think that's that's really quite an early tabletop rpg i mean dungeons and dragons had come out by that time but not a whole lot of other games i think interesting yeah so this guy was really into the whole tabletop rpg stuff and he was he was part of the team and another person on the team was a guy called Michael A. Stackpole, who created another tabletop RPG game called Mercenaries, Spies, and Private Eyes that was released in the early 80s. So these guys, they were not just computer programmer guys. These guys were really tabletop RPG guys. And I think that also shows, right? Yeah, I'm actually so like I'm so excited that I'm learning something new about this game because <laughs> I I wasn't aware of this, but now that you know, it makes so much sense because hypothetically, like 
all of the damage tables and whatnot are represented by like 2d6 or 66 or, you know, rolling to hit. You just, again, you like, you don't see it. You just see the numbers. Mm -hmm. But even when you look at the data or you mine it, or even some of what they've gotten out today, like it's very clear, like this weapon does, you know, like 5d8. So that makes so much sense in relation to what I am now learning here today. This is awesome. Yeah. So I think that was also really the goal of this game, because I think there's a lot of these uh, tunnels and trolls and the mercenary spies and private eyes. I think there's a lot of the mechanics of these games that are brought to Wasteland. So I think the goal was really to make like a computerized version of these tabletop RPGs that these people had already made by this point. But then, of course, into this post-apocalyptic world, which was which was a new element into all this. Now, amazingly enough, um, the game in the credits has just one programmer. I mean, how insane is that? There's one guy called Alan Pavlish. Yeah, he's the only programmer. He programmed the whole thing. I think development of this game took about five years. That's what I read. Uh, and and nowadays, uh, working for five years on a game is not that remarkable. But back then, back in the 80s, when games were generally a, a lot simpler and a lot smaller than they are now, I think this was really quite a big project. Yeah. So then just to have one program, I, wow. I just don't really get it, to be honest. <laughs> just like get a second guy in and have it like done in half the time. But I don't know. That's uh, That's how it was. Yeah. Seems incredibly ambitious for one guy. I mean, I'm, I'm no coder, so I'm not sure, but like, just, just knowing the depth of, of that game, like it's, I don't know, it's just crazy to think about, um, you know, game design these days blows my mind anyway, you know, like what some designers come up with and do and even small teams. So it's not completely surprising that one person just put their head down and made something amazing because we still see it today. But like back then, especially, Mm. uh, it's, it's, it's incredible yeah i'd like to imagine that he was just like you know balls deep into coding it and then they're like hey man do you want like someone else we can hire a couple guys to help you if you want and he like imagine trying to explain his like the situation to other people <laughs> and trying to bring everybody else up to speed on all these threads going between all these things so it's just like no no I'll, I'll just do it myself yeah alan alan gets that email and he's like put him on metallurgy <laughs> Put them on. The, put them on the skills that we're never going to use. It'll be, it'll be great. I think actually, uh, I'll have to look this up because I think actually Brian Fargo he liked to work with this other programmer who worked on on Bart's Tale. I'm, I see here on Moby Games that it was programmed by Michael Cranford. I'm not completely sure if that's the guy, but yeah, I think it was. I think Michael Cranford was the. Uh, well, and there's also a, a guy called Troy P. Worrell. Anyway, there were these other programmers that were working at Interplay, and Brian Fargo was really keen on on having either of those guys working on Wasteland as well. But they were just still working on Bardstale as well while they were developing Wasteland. So I think that's why they only had one guy working on Wasteland, because really Bardstale was their main project at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Bartsdale was was three games, right? Yeah. They they started with the first one in '85, but then they released sequels right away in '86 and '88. So all the while, while while Wasteland was developed, they were all still working on Bartsdale as well. So uh, 
So yeah, I guess that's why uh, why this guy Alan Pavlish uh, is is both a new programmer in Interplay and also the only guy working on this game. So uh, yeah, um, the baller. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, now there are sar- uh, several other people uh, listed in the credits, but they were mainly concerned with scenario design. So I guess that means quest writing and and stuff like that and like the map and just you know writing all the, the fucking the, bobby's the, dog <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh but all in all still a pretty small team i think all in all maybe like 10 people something like that that's the whole team so uh just one graphics guy as well uh todd j camasta is listed in the in the manual as the guy who did all the graphics so uh wow yeah Pretty impressive. It is. Yeah. And of course, it was published by uh, Electronic Arts, as all uh, of Interplay's games were at the time. Now, Electronic Arts, of course, it doesn't always have the best name with gamers nowadays because they have this reputation of, you know, wrecker of of studios and just, (laughs) yeah, you know. But I think at the time, they were really different and they were really, like, they loved games on a deep level, I think. So I think back then, they were. it was really more of a passion thing to release these games and bring them out to the public. Yeah, I feel like we, we, you know, if you watch any of the documentaries or read any of the sort of design culture of old, like, I think that's what it was, right? It's it's a lot of the, the same sort of passion, I think, that that makes a podcast like this possible, right? Like, yeah. just this is is awesome this is a growing industry like we well, we want to remember all this stuff but back in that time it was it was paving these new roads and 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 building new engines that people would eventually just take off into space with it it was a remarkable time and i think that you know sometimes we don't give credit to these big names that you know did so much to advance gaming of this of this era and, and i pretty sure a lot of the people that you just kind of listed and talked about definitely deserve that credit. Yeah. So I think it's good to, well, to also remember electronic arts as well, a really a company that loved games and, and really enjoyed bringing them out to the people. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's easy to criticize, you know, it's easy to me to be oh yeah, they're terrible, blah, blah, blah. But no, they are terrible. They are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But they have a really rich history. And uh, yeah, that's something we have to remember as well, I think. So, uh, well, that's like a short overview. I mean, there's really a lot more you can read about the background and and the development of Wasteland. I actually found a really cool blog. It's called The Digital Antiquarian. And he has like a massive article on uh, all sorts of history on how this game came to be. I'll I'll put a link to that along with uh, with the post of this podcast. So if people want to dive in, they can they can read that. And uh, yeah, if, if you go out and Google Brian Fargo, uh, there's a lot of other stuff you can find interviews on YouTube and uh, whatnot. So uh, yeah, if you're interested, then you can really find a whole lot of stuff out there. But I think, well, unless someone else has to add something, I mean, this is all I know about the background of this game. You did more research than I did. I just played the game. Oh, (laughs) yeah, but that's important too, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in terms of graphics and sound, uh, we talked a little bit about how it has this cartoon 
aesthetic almost going on, but also quite brutal. Um, but in the end, it's really, it's just EGA graphics. And and like you said, you even played it with CGA graphics, Marcus. So. Yes, I did. Yeah. If you just, even if you go to images.google and just type Wasteland CGA <laughs> and, and I'm looking at one right now and man, yeah, man, is garish it, colors. <laughs> is it, is it beautiful, man? It would be like four years later when I finally upgraded to VGA. Um, oh man. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I I mean, this game is really about the writing and about just imagining this rich world and not so much, I mean, the the, the graphics and also especially the sound. I mean, it's just PC speaker bleeps, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You're not loading this up to hear the amazing soundtrack. In fact, like if I'm not mistaken, the initial little scene with the satellite and the missiles is just about the most horrendous thing that you've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was, no one had sound blasters and, no. you know, uh, that was not a thing yet. So exactly. So yeah, it's not really a multimedia experience, but mm-hmm. ah well, it's just what it is. Can I touch on a point? Sure. This game is funny, man. <laughs> this game is dark and we've been talking about how brutal some of these graphics are like some of the game is freaking silly as hell yeah like i mean i'm playing it for the first time and so i'm just you know all right i've looked at high pool i've but then i go to the agricultural center and like the farmers come up to you you get there and same thing you gotta pull the paragraph book out and you're reading that like the farmers are restless and they go up and they're asking if you'll go and like rid the garden of like the bunny master or something and you're like what the fuck the bunny master and then like offer to pay me like the second choice pay me and then like they pull out shiny objects and bits of glass and look at each other and then like the shaman like rolls his eyes and looks at you, he's like food food we'll, we'll give you food <laughs> It's it's funny, and then like he describes it as like he makes it like a Looney Tunes reference, calling him like a waspy wabbit keeper or something. <laughs> you go out there, and there's like you you have to fight all these other like lizards and rats and shit, and eventually Henry the Bunny Master like shows up. <laughs> this is <laughs> big fat redneck guy like an axe. Like it, it's funny. It has a good amount of humor mixed in, and like so you can really tell. I think you can see a lot of that. I mean, when they say Fallout took the inspiration, like it's very literal, man. Like mm. the game is very brutal, but it also has a lot of injections of humor and it's it's quite charming in that way. Yeah. And it really doesn't end there. Uh, I think that's what's what's great about that. You know, like it starts off and you said you want to talk about high pool and there's definitely some crazy stuff that happens in there. But um, you know, then, then later on, when you go to like the servants of the mushroom cloud, it's like, yo, it, that was the first time that I was introduced to the concept of, yeah, it makes sense that there'd be a cult around, you know, nuclear warheads and, and that whole concept. And of course, then it's like, what other factions can be created? You think about, uh, fallout completely runs on the factions, but they've got like the rail nomads and, and whatnot, um, uh, in this game. And, even the the snake squeezins and it's it all even the cyborgs uh have have humor to it and i think that's how they were able to ride that line of like yo we can be brutal and we could do all this crazy stuff and and then also let's let's just like have fun with it um which fallout definitely got 
that that like voice from for sure yeah you nailed it though yeah i'm glad you you got that even as early right because it right away it just kind of throws some weird shit at you yeah <laughs> i also just want to talk about like my high pool experience like i mean i feel like the best way to describe this game would be i mean just to describe what happened like so i go to the city right you're kind of moving around the same thing like it just looks empty right there's no other npcs moving around for the most part like but eventually you move up against this one piece of wall and it says something like, uh, you know, city, whatever. And it says like, Bobby's dog, Jackie, question mark. And then something about like a hidden cave across the river. And so you go across the river and you walk around and like, you don't see anything. And that's when like, I remember there was a perception check. I just started like, perception checking everything and what the audience should know is to use this perception check like you have to hit s to use a skill and then you have to select the ranger you want that's always going to be the one that has the most perception so in my case it was two and then you have to hit the skill number associated with that which was five and then you have to hit the direction that you want to look for your perception so that's like four keys you know just to do this perception check and I did a perception check on like 15 squares, right? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually yeah. though, it's cool. And this is where it like the RPG-ness starts to like, it hits home and you start, you get excited. Like you see a tree and it just has like a ripped rope on it. And you're like, oh shit. Well, I see I can use like items here. Let's look at my items. And oh, you have a rope and the, you can attach the rope to the thing. And so, I mean, and nothing is telling you with this rope, you know, like that's what it's used for. Or that's how you use it. You just kind of like, I'm going to try this rope on this thing. And then all of a sudden you go down in the cave. And so now I'm down in the cave and there's things I can't get past, like boulders. And it's kind of fun if you try to like use it with a different skill or something. It's like your guy runs up and slides off and scrapes his knees. You take five damage. I unconscious one of my guys trying to climb a fucking rock. <laughs> like, so then I eventually get my guy with the most climbing skill and I'm climbing around and then you climb to the back of the cave. You actually, and I'm getting ahead of myself. As soon as you get back in the middle part of the cave, you get attacked by this rabid dog and you kill the dog because he's rabid attacking you. And then you get to the back of the cave. You have to climb on top of these boulders, and if you climb on the top of the boulders to, like, a seemingly empty space, you find a little person there. And I'll be damned if I could not figure out how the fuck to talk to this person. <laughs> I'm trying different, like, skills and statistics, and, I mean, I just, like, lost it. Eventually, like, I, well, you can't do anything. It's just bullshit, and I just left. And then eventually later I was fighting a monster outside of town and I see one of the actions you can take inside combat is higher. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck? You've got to be joking me. So I go back to town, climb over the rocks again, and then get into the back and then hit the E button to encounter this person. And then I actually enter like a battle scene where I could kill this like supposed teenage child. <laughs> and instead you hire her and that's Jackie. And so you find Jackie and she joins your party. And then as soon as you get out, you see like a pile of dirt, you know, fresh earth, unearthed dirt. Here lies, you know, Ricky Bobby's dog killed by asshole rangers. And then as you're walking out of town, like this chunky little fat kid named Bobby approaches and is like, man, he killed my dog. And like, and you gotta kill this child. <laughs> like, 
I don't think you could have this game today. <laughs> Massacring this child. It was amazing. And I loved it. And, uh, can I can I tell you one thing to blow your mind? Yes. Because I know it's the second time you brought the perception check. So um, with the exception of a few places, perception automatically rolls every time you move a tile. <gasps> oh, what? So to perception check into a wall, all you do is face check the wall. Or to perception check into an area, all you do is just like face check in the area. Oh, my God. This would have revolutionized my time. There, there's actually a few areas where you can like farm perception points and and increase your skill just by like walking back and forth in an area. Oh man. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that was like I needed thousands of hours for twelve year old me to finally you know get all that, but I did that for a long time before I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, you have to do that in the back of the. Uh, also on the board, they mentioned something about like the water purifier being broken. And then same thing, you go to an abandoned house in the back and then do a perception check or bash your face against it, apparently. Yeah. Uh, it says like it appears to be missing an engine. So I guess and I just want to tie all this up with like, so I walked into this town, this seemingly empty town, just some green fields, a couple buildings I could go into it. But by the time like I left, like I felt that I had actually like explored, done some shit, you know, rescued a person. Like there's there's stuff there underneath the surface. You just have to like dig it out. I also broke down a door and made some punks mad and then beat them up too. So <laughs> that was also a highlight. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why anyone would take lock picking. I just break every door down and every box open. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, getting people into your party because actually you start the game with uh, four characters, but you can go up to seven, I think. Yeah. I was a little bit confused because these these people are referred to as NPCs, like the extra people you can hire. I mean, normally aren't, well, like are... in. Isn't the term NPC often used for like people you meet in games which you are not playing yourself? But these game these these people that are joining your party, well, I guess you're not literally playing these people, but yeah. I think because the every single NPC has like a purpose in the game. Hmm. And some NPCs can be hired. But yeah. the thing is, is that like you can meet these NPCs and never meet the requirements to to quote unquote hire them. And then even when you hire them, there are times when like if you go to an area, they will leave or maybe they won't do certain things. Yeah. Um so there like I I I'm trying to remember there's one NPC in particular who's a badass, but then when you hit this point in the game, they piece out of your party. And it's just like, it's like, remember Ty was talking about like this shit saves your game. Like right when you walk in. So mm. there's no way you don't, you don't take that decision back unless you restart your game. So there are absolutely moments, but I, I don't know if that was just, you know, back then they're, they're basically pre-made characters that are in the game that if you reach certain conditions or do certain things like, what uh, was mentioned about saving Jackie in, in the cave, then you have the option of joining their party. And there's a couple NPCs in the world that are just there. And in the exact same way, you have to like encounter them. So it's like start a false fight 
And then you could see if you have the ability to hire them. And then at that point, you might need a high charisma in order to hire. So there's some, there's some depth too. Yeah. I, I admittedly tried to hire a lot of NPCs that would never, ever, ever, ever have joined my party. But <laughs> no matter what I did, Henry, the bunny master would not yep, join me. Yep. But I tried it a couple times. Young me didn't know, like it didn't have a list of which NPCs I get. So it's just like, well, I'm going to do everything I can get this. I want this nun in my party. Who's got, <laughs> you know, this AK 47. Let's do it. Yeah. But it's really cool, though, that they still, even though they join your party, they still have their own will and their own autonomous, like what you say, they don't always exactly do what you tell them to do. That's really quite cool. I'm not sure if that's... Yeah, very forward thinking. I mean, it's not like they're AI, but I would say they have programmed conditions that you are are totally unaware of. Yeah. Right, which just makes it kind of an interesting element to have to deal with as you're trying to go through this game you know yeah exactly yeah sure someone played fallout 4 once and stole something and yeah the robot detective guy got mad at them and they're like "Ooh, how interesting and progressive well <laughs> guess what <laughs> it's here back in 1986 yeah well 88 but still. <laughs> sure, that's what i meant 88 yeah um and you also mentioned that the game auto saves itself and and well if 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 you screw up then well, that's really it, unless you restart the game. Although I'm not completely sure if there's even an option to restart the game. I think it just writes all the changes to the disk. So uh, I think the manual says something like when you open the box and get the game out, like make a copy of this disk so that when you want to go back to the original state and start a new game, so then, yeah, I think this was actually resolved in the MS DOS installer mm. because you, well, uh, if you were installing to a hard drive, right, right. So when you then when you ran the installer, um, basically it would just let you reset like whatever the pack files or whatever they were, yeah, um, on the on the hard drive. So I think specifically that was an issue for like. Commodore and Apple two E. Yeah. Um, but then once, you know, us ballers had 20 megabytes to work with, uh, <laughs> in our hard drives, then that became less of an issue, but it did mean, um, which was kind of interesting is that I could back up at that point, uh, a save state, if you will, because of the way that it did save, mm. um, into everything. So, um, you know, I could like restart, but then before I did that, I could copy it over and then sort of quote unquote reinstall. And that would allow you to restart. Yeah. Okay. Still kind of interesting that the original version, the, the Apple II version, also the Commodore, I mean, basically all the system that didn't have a hard disk. Well, you better be careful with your game disk. I mean, you could screw up your game forever. If you didn't pay attention, right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> That's kind of hardcore. I bet they got a lot of support questions like, can you send me a new disc? Because I kind of screwed up and I can't. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> I can't continue. No, my. I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe it's cool to talk about the different versions and sequels and stuff. Now that we're talking about different systems, because it originally came out for the Apple II, like you said, and it was ported to the Commodore 64 and also, of course, MS-DOS, which is the, well, the version that we focus on. And I think it was, I mean, if you go onto Steam or or GOG.com or 
Um, there's also Desura, but I'm not sure if they're still a thing. But anyway, the, there is a version of the game available right now, which is like the original version. I think it was released or re-released, I should say, in 2013 mm-hmm. for the for the sequel that there, that was coming out around that time. I think that's the version you played, Tyler, right? Yes, I played the GOG version. Right. And it kind of has those graphical up grades that you can you know disable or enable i played it in like the legit graphic style and all that and uh since we are bringing it up they actually have added like a new soundtrack Hmm. that will play behind it if you play the gog version that's actually really good adds a lot of atmosphere and so i think if you were wanting to try the game that that would be a good version to you because the soundtrack is good cool yeah that is pretty cool so, yeah, you can just go on to Steam or GOG and, and get basically the original game, but playable on Windows or Mac or, or Linux even. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. And, of course, the DOS version. I think it, it basically is the DOS version inside DOSBox probably. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at the time, I mean, this game was really quite a big hit, uh, relatively for the time anyway. Uh, so they actually started on sequel. Right in the in the early nineties or maybe the late eighties already, they actually started on two sequels. Did you guys know this? Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, well, both both EA and Interplay attempted to make a sequel on their own, not involving the other party. So uh, EA started working on a thing they called Fountain of Dreams, which was intended as well, basically Wasteland Two. Uh, and that game, it actually did come out. It did, yeah. I I remember being so excited for that game, thinking mm. and and being like kind of ignorant to you know like not knowing what that meant that two different companies were kind of going on to make the game. But it was mm-hmm. it was basically marketed, if I'm not mistaken, as the sequel to to Wasteland. Yeah. Um. So. Um, yeah, and I remember, gosh, in the early days, there was all this weird descriptions about what it was going to be. But frankly, I was just like, I want more of the gameplay with new stuff. And it didn't yeah. even deliver on that. So no. I've never uh, seen or heard me about Meantime, though. Um, no, that's because it actually got canceled. Yeah, okay. And it was never released. That's the other one. That's Meantime is the sequel that was uh, attempted by Interplay as a sequel to Wasteland. And Fountain of Dreams was the attempt by EA. And that, that one actually did get released in 1990. But it was incredibly poorly made. Um, got really bad reviews. It was just, well, I didn't play it myself. But like you said, it was just a disappointment on every level. So, yeah. And I think in the end, they even changed the the marketing. So it wasn't the sequel to Wasteland because... They were realizing they were just tainting the Wasteland name with this terrible game. Yeah. We, we won't be able to milk it later. <laughs> yeah. Ruin it now. <laughs> so then all of a sudden it wasn't the sequel. Well, it definitely was at first. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. So, yeah, there wasn't a real proper sequel to this game uh, until Fallout, I guess, in uh, 1997. 
which is also by Interplay and also by Brian uh, Fargo, right? I mean, he was also the main writer for Fallout, yeah. I think. And I would say, I mean, obviously, like the true sequel came out in 2014, but right. sort of the, the exploration of the, like, what is this post-apocalyptic world and, and what other stories can we tell maybe in this setting, not necessarily the same universe. Yeah, I think... Uh, I, I think it's definitely, it's fair to say that Fallout was a spiritual continuation mm-hmm. of Wasteland for sure. Exactly. And then, like you said, the, the real sequel, the first real sequel to come out was Wasteland 2. And that was all the way in 2014. That um, was through a Kickstarter, I think, right? It was. That er, yeah. that made so much money. Uh, like a few, I don't even remember what they were trying to get. I thought it was maybe like 1 million or 1.5. And mm. I think they almost got three. Nice. So yeah, that was a huge success. And honestly, that allowed that studio to come to life. Yeah. So the fact that now, you know, Wasteland 3 has been kicked off as well. And it's awesome. Yeah. So did you play Wasteland 2? I, I guess you did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's really rare, um, when you get a sequel to a game, right? Cause like this was how many years later, <laughs> you yeah, know, like, like 25 or something my, crazy. My younger self was, was just all I remember was the nostalgia, right. Of what wasteland was. Mm. So of course I was excited because I've, I loved fallout. I played all those games, but like the wasteland universe, that's where it all started for me. So, um, the first thing is, is that it absolutely has a bunch of stuff in the game that if you played the original game, you are like, yes, this game was made for me, but it's still incredibly accessible to anyone, whether it's your first game like that or not. So uh, I played it. I loved it. It is as brutal as the first game. Um, there's also some, uh, feeling, as I mentioned and described to you guys before, where you get to this point in the game where you're like, oh, wait a second, I'll kill anyone. I can kill anyone. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's hard to get to that point, but when you do, it feels good. So I can't wait for, for three. I definitely had my gripes with it too. You know, like mm. the overhead map to, to me was, I was like, Man, I was really salty about that shit because like the overhead map was, I was just like, that, that was, that was wasteland, that overhead map. Um, but the way it worked is like, you kind of, expl- you weren't really represented in the same way that you were in wasteland. So you, it was almost more RTS like. You were a sh- fucking sheriff's badge. Right. Wasn't and exciting. You're just like, click to where you want to go. Yeah. And so I was just, I was like, ah, I would have liked that. But once you got into the various areas, you know, I really enjoyed that game. Plus, I think that game took uh, the whole concept of persistent world and took it to the next level where it forced you to make decisions where it's like you either go save these people or go save them. And guess what? There's no saving both. And I like that they reintroduced that element because, you know, we don't get that in games a lot. No, where it's like, no, you make a decision and that's it. Yeah. No, I played Wasteland 2 and ever I can yeah, I co-signed to everything you say cuz I hadn't played Wasteland 1 right when I played Wasteland 2, but I like turn-based RPGs much as the next guy and yeah, I was remember like leaving uh the agricultural center that I chose to save and like I think it was high pool it's just like fuck you man, we all dead now. What a bunch <laughs> of assholes you are. I was just like, "Oh, I was, yep, I was yep. just trying to be the nice guy over here. I'm so sorry." Yeah. 
And I also was waiting to pounce. DJ Wee covered it first, but I was waiting to pounce on, well, Wasteland 2 sure inherited that difficulty. <laughs> like, goddamn, Wasteland 2, like, it really got me. Just like I say, I consider myself, you know, pretty game savvy. I can figure things out. And I was kind of like, this will be the rifle guy. This will be the shotgun guy. This will be the fancy pistol guy. And, like, this will be the professor who, like, will just have all these other non-combat traits. And, like, man... Everybody better have rifle. Yeah, in that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, you know, just it's awesome to think about that a game that came out in 1998 was able to be revived for you know what 2014, right? And absolutely in a world of you know like remaking movies and stuff like that, it's it's awesome that there wasn't a remake that it was like, hey, we're actually gonna like pick up this series 20. X years later and um, you know, it's going to be an entry point, but it will also be sort of a shrine to someone who's, who's you know, played the original game as well. Like I, I just, I think that is freaking awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. I didn't really know they were even making a, a third game. So that's cool to, uh, they are to see. Yeah. That's awesome. winter of this year. Oh, awesome. Well, let's, yeah, I, I better start playing too then. <laughs> yeah, and I, if I'm not mistaken, they're visiting, like it's going to be a cold setting. So I'm not sure if it's Colorado or if it's even further north. Hmm. Um, I think they have announced it, but it'll be interesting because most of it's been like in the desert. Yeah. Um, you know. Huh. Were you able to finish number two? Because I oh, shamefully yeah. did not. I probably put in about 20 hours before I got distracted and, you know, wandered off. I did over a very long period of time. And then I played a totally like stream slash, uh, you know, like spoiler assisted playthrough of the director's cut because they added some stuff where like, and this is kind of, it's kind of funny, but if you, at the very beginning of the game, you can get one of the characters that you start with in the original wasteland. And she's just like stupid OP. So it's like uh, Angela Death. Yes, Angela Death. Yes. Yeah, so. I got I got her in my party, and yeah, I was like, holy shit, this <laughs> lady is a fucking ass kicker. Like, yeah. I'm stronger than everyone in my party right now. Awesome. Give her all the ammo. <laughs> yeah, in the first run through, I did not do that. I like painstakingly went through, and God, it was rough because even the director's cut, they did a lot of fine tuning the to shit that was like enemies being op. But I I did, and um, and then a real real fast run through through the director's cut. So I'm definitely excited. Um, like the the winter time is perfect that's when i probably have the most time to game so i'm glad that that's when it's coming out this year and not like around e3 or something like that like around summer mm, yeah yeah wow that's really something to look out for cool i was uh browsing through uh, some reviews of this game that were released at the time they're really good guys i mean people really praise this game I saw Computer Gaming World, this this big magazine. They uh, well, they first of all named this game Adventure Game of the Year in in '88. A classic mix of combat and problem solving, the ease of play, richness of plot, problem solving requirements, skill and task system. Yeah, just they even put it in their Hall of Fame of games uh, in 1993, and by 1996. They ranked it ninth. They made a list of uh, best video games of all time, and they ranked this game ninth. 
So, you know, in 1996, I mean, a lot of games had come out by that time. and That's actually insane, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to still be up there. I mean, we had Wolfenstein, we had Quake, yeah. we even had, I think, Unreal was 96 or 97. I mean, you just take those three, but then everything, that was like what you'd expect to be up there, uh, there because it's most recent. But then, you know, before that, you mentioned Prince of Persia, and, mm. you know, Populous and all, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah, loads of classics. So, to, to still maintain that ninth position. That's really crazy. Um, IGN in 2000 also did a similar thing where they made a, you know, the, the, the best games of all time list and, and Wasteland was ranked 24th in that list. So, yeah, I think I think even the fact this game is on the, the, those lists at all, I mean, in 2000, by then, gaming had blown up so much. You know, Half-Life was out and, and yeah. lots of... Crazy big games. So, so people still remembering Wasteland. That I mean, that really says something. I think there's this one guy, Orson Scott Card of Compute Magazine. He gave the game a mixed review. So <laughs> eh. he must have died a lot in the beginning and got frustrated like a wuss. There it is. He even says mutant bunnies can get boring too. It's like, well, then you never made it out of the agricultural center. Yeah. And yeah, that might get a little boring. But <laughs> no, I got excited when I got to the city and I started getting all these different portrait frames of like different people with guns and stuff. And there's like this big, like muscly, well, I shouldn't say please, like a fat guy in a vest or something. He's swinging a chain around. Like, yeah, <laughs> I started getting pumped once I started encountering those guys. The follow-up point that Orson uh, Scott makes is probably more is probably more in line with why I could accept that he gave a mixed review where he says this is still a kill a monster get the treasure game without the overarching story that makes each ultimate installment meaningful because there is probably some truth to that as we talked about right you could play this game for thirty or forty hours before you even find out that the the robots and AI are a part of this grander. Uh, you know, storyline. Yeah. Uh, so that is fair because Ultima has, you know, pretty straightforward, I think, as, as you're kind of going through those things. Yeah, it's also because of the open nature of this game, maybe. I mean, a lot of these RPGs are open world games, but this game is really open. I mean, it's really just yeah, go where you want, do what you want. You can hire people, but also kill them. I mean, you just you just figure it out. And I think most other games tend to, well, shape things a bit more and steer things more into a certain direction that it wants to go in. Maybe it's that. Yeah. I don't want to be the guy that always finds some way to relate everything back to Starflight somehow. But <laughs> like you're talking about just how open the world is. I mean, Starflight, same way, you know, same thing. You just go anywhere, do anything. But even Starflight, guided you down the storyline a little bit because no matter whatever you were doing you would still return back to the home base and like get some new orders or something and like those new orders from hq would still deliver you some kind of like story elements trickling in as you're starting to realize that you know the, you know there's something going on here the story is developing so this game is far more cryptic is what i'm trying to say like yeah just as open but still, if you don't find the specific story elements, start tying them together yourself, you won't find it. Which uh, is interesting when you think about the Fallout universe and how those were a little bit more orchestrated 
but still promoted the idea of exploration and going out and you will be rewarded if you know you don't necessarily follow the story. And I think that's early on one of the reasons why ultimately Wasteland really spoke to me is that like, you know, yeah, I, I wasn't saving a princess, you know, I wasn't doing that. It's like, I'm going, oh, wow, this is cool. This, well, this is messed up. And there was a reward for that. Right. And, and I think about the fallout games and some of my favorite fallout moments were, you know, either in two or, or three, where it's just like, well, let's, let's not go where the game wants me to go. Right. Like, mm. let's, let's just like walk North and see what we find. And you find these special weapons that you would have never found otherwise. And, uh, and that, that element of gaming, I wish existed more. And that was, of course, I'll bring it back to Ultima. That was one of the reasons I loved Ultima is because when a game gives you freedom, it feels so much bigger. You like your actions feel uh, so much more substantial. And uh, I, I think that, you know, Wasteland was a great representation of how that was being done in this early DOS era. Yeah, well said. Yeah. So, um, if we're if we're drawing conclusions now, would you recommend this game? I mean, you're 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 clearly fond of this game, and and you have nostalgic feelings for it. But what if someone w- were to be completely new to this game? Would you say, yeah, go ahead and and play Wasteland, or would that be a bit too much? Uh. I mean, from, from a perspective of like putting nostalgia in my back pocket and, and, you know, I, I think like it is very, very hard in this day and age to Mm -hmm. actually recommend a game like that, unless it is a recommendation that's like, Hey, if you're really interested in the history of where post-apocalyptic RPGs come from, Wasteland represents the birth place, if you will, of what now is the fallout era. And, and, you know, we get into new wasteland, but I think if, if you're a gamer who's super interested in that and is willing to like dump what now is very limited gaming hours into something, um, maybe the experience, like what, how you guys did it is worth it. I I think someone might go insane going a thousand hours deep in in (laughs) wasteland in this day and age. But I think it's also awesome. If you did say, you know what, I'll I'll play 15 hours of this game and then I'll play wasteland two. You'll still get a really awesome appreciation for like, wow, they, they took that game from 88. They like made it really pretty and they gave it still the same amount of depth. And, and this is a game that I will put that, you know, 50 hours into, uh, because there's another one coming out, but I think more from a historical perspective, it's a cool game to check out. If you love post-apocalyptic, if you've ever wondered like what the influences of fallout were wasteland is for you. So I don't know, Ty, what do you think? I got a parrot a lot of what you say, like, It'd be hard just to, you know, rub someone like, you got to play this, man. Like, out of all the games in the world, this is the one you got to play. Like, because it does have, you know, an interface that can try your patience a bit and all that. But at the same time, I would say absolutely it's worth going back. If not, only because as I was call, uh, telling Martine earlier as we were doing our mic checker uh, before the show, like, I intend to keep playing Wasteland a little bit. Like, I'm nice, having fun. Nice. I fi- I finally got, my, like, I got my armor, so I got a little bit of survivability. I got pickaxes for everyone, which is the most expensive weapon I could buy in Court City. And, like, all of a sudden, the game is kind of opening up to me. And I'm legitimately having fun. I got about 
four post-it notes full <laughs> of notes that I've written down. So like, and that's this is all what I love. Like I I love this play style, right? Of having to write down people's names and you know same thing. Like, take this note to Head Crusher, man. Like there's <laughs> there's nothing in the game that records that for you. So you're just writing on your post-it note and stuff. So I fully intend to put a little bit more time into it here and there. So if if that's how I feel after putting in you know twelve thirteen hours, then I would say yeah. I do recommend this if someone wants to try and experience an old RPG game. I think it'll, uh, you know, hit the spot. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, I mean, from a historic perspective, this game is just really interesting to look at. And and I think you're right that, you know, it's not as accessible as, as more modern games are. And it doesn't hold your hand and it doesn't really provide any, you know, guidance. But But still, I mean... I think there's a lot to 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 get out of this game if you are willing to really dive into it. I mean, I can totally see that. I've only scratched the surface myself, but I can really see that it's a rich world where you can well, there's a lot to discover. So uh so yeah, if you're into that sort of stuff, then definitely. I mean, it's it's not expensive. I you can easily get it. I don't know what you pay for it on GOG, but I think it's like $5 or something. Yes. So yeah, I mean, if you don't mind the 1988 graphics, <laughs> yeah, go for it. I mean, that new soundtrack, moody. Huh. Like, I kind of felt like I was cheating. I'm like, am I cheating by playing the game, like, with the soundtrack here? Like, no, I- you, you did it the right way, my friend, yeah. If I get on there and I'm like, yeah, I played it on the GOG version with the soundtrack. It was really <laughs> awesome. Everyone's going to be like, you didn't get the authentic experience of silence. Yeah. <laughs> I I think back in the day, people would just put on their own music, right? I mean, yeah. you just just play whatever you are, you're into. So... Yeah, cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot uh, for for talking about this game. I mean, it's really uh, it's been an epic uh, journey diving into this. But I mean, we're we're playing lots of different games, you know. Like in December, we played games like Alley Cat. So I mean, this is all <laughs> a completely <laughs> from a from a small uh, arcade uh, game to to something epic like this. It's re- it's quite a journey, but it's. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's really cool. Um, speaking about uh, the games we're doing with DOS Game Club, uh, it's February now, and in February, the game we're featuring is uh, Life and Death, which is uh, also from 90, uh, 1988, by the way. Uh, it's, yeah, complete coincidence. It's a it's a surgery simulator, completely weird game. But, uh, yeah, we're playing that right now, so uh, you can... Oh, it's by the Software Tours? Yeah. I saw that on the site, but I hadn't really looked at it. That is funny. Yeah, so that's what we're playing right now. So if you have, uh, you know, ideas, comments about that game, you can go over to dosgameclub.com and, and post on the forums. And uh, the next podcast we'll do is is about that one. And then in March, we'll be playing Blood the 1997 uh, shooter the with all the yeah what's in that game like like the I live again. <laughs> yeah. yeah sorry i had to it's, i had to it's all it's all monks and stuff right it's all uh, uh what i mainly remember is that you can set people on fire 
Oh I think my that's gosh. Big... I haven't seen this game in ages. Yeah. It's just yet another phenomenal build engine game. Yeah. Probably like, don't get me wrong. I love doom and id and quake and all that shit. But if I had to like pick a favorite 1990s first person shooter engine, I think it's the build. Yeah. It's the same engine used uh, for Duke Nukem 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, blood is just, a, cr- a crazy game. I, I don't know if they could release a game like that nowadays where you just set monks on fire all the time. And I don't know. It's just. By God, I think we need to. Well, is, that, is blood, is it blood have the, the voodoo doll and like the hmm. right. Uh, yeah. Uh, where you like stab the, and it had all the religious weapons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So that's, it. that's, that's crazy stuff. Uh, and then for April, this is actually pretty exciting. Um, it looks like we might play Planet X3, uh, which is a completely new DOS game. What? What? Yeah, the 8-bit guy is a guy who, uh, who has a big YouTube channel. Oh, I like the 8-bit guy. Yeah, the 8-bit guy, he's made a completely new DOS game. It's called Planet X3. It's a sequel to to his previous game, Planet X2, which he released on, uh, I think, Commodore 64. I don't know, some other system. But uh, yeah, he took a stab at making a DOS game. So uh, it, it, it was released in December for backers of his Kickstarter. And he's, uh, he's sending out physical copies right now, like putting all the floppy disks into boxes and shipping them. So hopefully by April he's done with all that and uh, and the game will go on sale to uh, the general audience. So uh, yeah, we'll totally want to check that out once it's available. Is it like a it looks like some sort of like build slash RTS? What how do you Yeah. What, how would you describe it cuz I never played this originally. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an RTS game basically. Okay. It's, you know, build a base and and uh build units and and go uh attack the enemy that's oh, man. i think that's i think me and dj we gotta come back to the rts game man <laughs> yeah yeah like our <laughs> yeah i th- i'm just learning of this this is really cool i'm so i'm so shocked at like uh how how awesome he's you know made the the graphics and like how we didn't necessarily have something that looked this good back then. It's like super awesome. That's cool, huh? And I think the game yeah. supports like all video modes. It's like CGA all the way up to VGA. Yeah. So uh, that's really nice. And PC speaker and Tandy sound and ad like this is crazy. Oh, yeah. Tandy sound. This is legit. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Yeah, we got to check that out. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what's coming up next. If you're interested at all in this DOS stuff, join us over on dosgameclub.com. Uh, we've also got an IRC channel called DOS Game Club over on Afternet. So uh, you can join that as well. And if you're not an IRC person, we've got a, like a chat thing on our website, so you can use that as well. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, where we're called DOS Game Club. So that's where we like keep you updated on what's going on. And uh, finally, if you're listening to this on a podcast app, then uh, we please invite you to uh, leave a review and, and, well, you know, recommend us. And it really helps to get the word out. So, uh, yeah, that's it from us. Um, Thanks a lot, guys. I think it was really cool to talk about Wasteland. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I want to say thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to Das Nostalgic on, on Twitter. Oh yeah. Uh, So I actually have no idea 
how I started following Anatoly, but it must have just been like some random CGA screenshot that he posted. <laughs> that, and then I was like, I'm following this guy. It's been so that's how I found out uh, about you guys. And then that's how yeah. we sort of got connected on Wasteland. And just another amazing example of why the internet is such an awesome place. But yes, thank you so much. There's nothing more than I love to just to talk passionately about the games that, that I love and grew up with. So I really appreciate you guys inviting me on and letting me be a part of it. Yeah, of course. Super cool. It was great to have you. Thank you. And uh, thanks a lot, hopefully. Well, maybe we'll talk again in the future. Who knows? Would love that. Cool. Well, uh, thanks a lot. And uh, that's it for us now. Bye. Adios. Yeah.